0: We have been on this Q&A series for a while now, actually went a little bit longer than I was thinking it was going to go. In fact, when this whole thing started and I asked you guys to put questions in the box, I kind of wondered if it would be like one week or two weeks, you know, uh, depending on how many came back there. But there's been a lot of questions, a lot of really good questions. Uh, Some of them have made me sweat a little bit. I think today's a little safer ground, but let me pray for us and we'll get into our questions for today. Lord, we are uh, just so thankful to be together. Once again, it's such a privilege that we have to have this kind of commitment to one another, to meeting every week, encouraging one another every week, speaking into each other's lives, um, to be able to worship together is just such a privilege, and then to be able to look into your Word and allow it to change our thinking, allow it to challenge us. I, I do pray today, if we need to be challenged by some of these truths, Lord, that you would Breakthrough, maybe some hardness of heart that we've maybe had before, that you would cause a breakthrough today for us, uh, just so that we can live more in line with who you've made us to be, uh, more in line with who we are as uh, citizens of the kingdom of God, and that you would be glorified in all of it. So I pray you just help me speak clearly this morning and that you would do the teaching. Pray this all in your name. Amen. So uh, our first question today is can you do a lesson on love and forgiveness? The answer is yes. All right, let's move on. Oh, sorry. I guess they're asking for me to do a uh, lesson on love and forgiveness. Uh, Definitely. Great topics, right? Great things to talk about. But kind of broad, too, right? Like, there's a lot of things we could talk about concerning love, which I would say love is one of those things as believers that takes a life time of learning, right? We grow in love. We, we try to understand how to love each other better as the years go on. And so um, that's, that's a vast and deep topic. And forgiveness, you know, there's lots of different aspects of forgiveness. I'm going to take the things that, I, that came to my mind when I read this question and focus in on those. So let's take the first kind of aspect of this. In Matthew 6, 14 and 15, it says, for if you forgive others... For their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your, your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Those are Jesus' words. They're pretty pointed, right? Mark eleven twenty five says, Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. Jesus is describing here in both of these instances, the kingdom of heaven, which if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've given your life to Christ to follow him wherever he goes, you're a part of this nation of people. Now it's not a physical nation, right? With borders, but it's a spiritual nation uh, and, and you're a part of that. And he's trying to describe what that spiritual nation is about. In fact, a lot of Jesus's ministry was trying to describe that, was trying to describe what this kingdom of heavenly citizens would look like and be like on this earth. And the idea is pretty simple here. Kingdom people forgive others. Period. They just do. It's part of who we are. It's part of who we are as a people. It should mark who we are as a people. When people think about Christians, true followers of Christ, not just the ones that put the label on, but those who actually are true followers of Christ, they should think, man, those guys just let go of things. They don't hold on to things. Your family members who maybe aren't believers, when they think of you, they should think of someone who just lets things go. Even those things that our world would say, you shouldn't let that thing go. That is so egregious, whatever they did to you, you've got to hold on to that, at least in some way. They've got to pay some sort of penalty, and that penalty is you not forgiving them. Not if you're a kingdom citizen. Not if you're a follower of Christ. That's how the outside world thinks. The outside world uses forgiveness only when it's advantageous to themselves. Like, if I want to maintain this relationship, I guess I have to forgive this person. And I want to maintain this relationship, so I'm gonna forgive them. But the moment it gets to a point where I'm kind of over the relationship, I'm kind of done with them, well, that's the moment when that's the last straw, right? That's the straw that broke the camel's back, and it's done. That's worldly thinking, not kingdom citizen thinking. Or, you know, a modern thing today is, you know, unforgiveness is really causing me to be a bitter person. And I don't want to be a bitter person, and so I guess I'll forgive so that it doesn't negatively affect my life. That's not the reason we should forgive. We as kingdom citizens forgive because that's who we are. We are forgiving people. We forgive because we understand forgiveness. The world doesn't really understand forgiveness, but we understand it, right? Because we've been forgiven ourselves. We are forgiven people. That's If there's any mark of us, that's the mark, right? We're forgiven. And so we get forgiveness, or we should. So really what we should be thinking of when we're thinking of the forgiveness of others is not this kind of measurement of how it affects me or whether I want to forgive or whether they deserve forgiveness, uh, whether they've been repentant enough, whatever. The question is, whatever they did to you, if you did that thing, would you want God's forgiveness for that thing? I think you'd probably say yes. Whatever that thing is, you might not expect it or think you deserve it, but you would want God's forgiveness for that. Well, then you should offer that forgiveness to others. Because God, does God offer forgiveness for all transgressions? Yeah. So we, in turn, should forgive because we've been forgiven, right? This is uh, reflected in Colossians chapter 3, it says, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, because of who we are, not because of anything we've done, but because of what God has done for us, right? Because of who we are, make that the basis for putting on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you. Anytime you see just as in Scripture, you can, you can write in, if you're comfortable writing in your Bible, just write in an equal sign. That's what it means. In the same exact way as the Lord forgave you, so also should you forgive. And then he says, beyond all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. The context of Colossians 3 is Paul describing, like, we died with Christ, we've been raised with Christ to a completely new life. Our new life should look nothing like our old life because it is so different. The very nature of who we are has been transformed. And we become these people who are eternally minded, not temporally minded, right? We look ahead. We don't, we no longer follow every passion that we have. This is all from Colossians. We don't follow every passion that we have. We do good to people like Christ did good to people. Our passions and desires typically take us away from things that are loving and humble and kind. And he says this transformation that's occurred in us should cause us to be all of these things, but should definitely cause us to be forgiving one another. And again, forgiving, easy way to think about that is uh, if you like Elsa's song from Frozen. You guys familiar with that? What is it? Let it go, let it go. Now, don't listen to the rest of the words of that song, but th- those lines are what forgiveness is. It's truly to let it go. It's from a word that actually means to drop it. Just drop it. We are people who have been transformed in such a way that we drop things. We let people off the hook. And it's not a question of whether they, they should be left, let off the hook or not, the question is not, that doesn't matter at all. The question is, who are we? We are people who let people off the hook. Ephesians 4 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, letting each other off the hook, just as God in Christ also forgave you. Did God let us off the hook? 100%. Over and over and over and over and over and over again, right? Like, we can all relate to this. Yeah, Definitely. He let it go between me and him. Therefore, look at verse 1, therefore, be imitators of God. Imitate him as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. You see, in all these cases, we continue to be called to forgiveness and love, and he, over and over and over again, Drawing a comparison between the way we forgive and the way he forgives, right? The way we love and the way he loves. That our forgiveness should be beyond what humans do for one another. It should be what he does for mankind, what he has done for mankind. And so what may come to mind as we're looking at this is you might go, well, where does it end? You've probably had people in your life who continually take advantage of you who continually mistreat you, who are just, whenever they're in a bad mood, they hurt you. So at what point does it get to this toxic level? Right? That's the big thing today. This person is toxic. I've decided the toxicity in our relationship has gotten to that point where I now write them off. How far does that go? I don't think we're going to like the answer to that question. Look at Matthew 18. It says, Then Peter came up and said to him, said to Jesus, Lord, how many times shall my brother sin against me, and I still forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I did not say to you up to seven times, but up to 77 times. Peter was being very gracious here, because I think he understood the nature of Jesus. He was learning some things about Jesus and learning some things about forgiveness. And so the standard in their culture, the Jewish standard was three times to forgive someone, which actually makes sense, right? If someone comes up to you and punches you, right? You're like, what in the world? And they're like, I'm so sorry. And you're like, okay, (laughs) you know, it's fine, right? They come up to you again and punch you. I'm so sorry. You're like that. What? You can't just be sorry for that. You just punched me a second time. Like, what is going on? But okay, okay, fine, 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 fine. I'm a Christian. I guess I'll forgive you, right? Like, right? They come up and do do it to you a third time. Like, no. Like, I don't think so. So Peter's like being generous here. Like that third time, I'm gonna I'm gonna forgive him even on that third time. And then I'm going to forgive him on the fourth time, and the fifth time, and the sixth. I mean, that's a lot of times. Can we agree? Like, Peter's being super generous here. And Jesus is like, seven times, like 77 times. By the way, he's not, don't count up to 77. That's not his point, right? His point's like, no, 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 you don't don't understand. And I don't think we understand. That's why Jesus gives us this parable, which is, is excellent. He says, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven, that's us, is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his master commanded that he be sold along with his wife and children and all he had and repayment be made. This was normal. This was the way debts... Unpaid debts were taken care of in the first century. Totally normal. Everybody expected this to happen. That's why you tried to avoid getting into debt, because you could be either put in debtor's prison or be enslaved. That was a normal way for things to go, to pay your debts. But you have to understand here, one talent is about 6,000 denarii, which are these silver coins, okay? This guy owed his master 10,000 talents, which is equal in today's money to $12 billion. $12 billion. And in their time in their place, we might go, because, you know, the whole American dream thing, we're like, yeah, I might be able to do that. Like, I invent the right thing, or I, you know, I'm going to become, I'm going to invent the next Amazon or whatever. Like, I might be able to get to that. Like, we might have that idea, which is ridiculous. But you got to understand those opportunities did not exist in their time. This $12 billion would have taken, well, in their time, it wasn't $12 billion, in their time, but in their time, it would have taken 200,000 years of work to pay off. That means he and his wife and his children working every day of their life before they die, and his grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren all enslaved. Basically, his whole line is going to be enslaved for a very, very long time. This is not a repayable sum. Listen to what the slave said, verse 26. He says, So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me. I will repay you everything. We were talking about jokes last week? Like, that's a joke, right? Right? Like, 200,000 years of repayment. Like, No, what is this guy saying, right? Him saying, I will pay back everything, there's one of two problems going on with this dude. Either he does not understand how much he owes, which is possible, right? He just doesn't get the dollar amount that he owes. And so he thinks, I've got this. I can handle it. I can handle this debt. Or two, he somehow, well, I guess that would be I can handle the debt, somehow he either doesn't understand the debt or he thinks he can repay it both are dead wrong right both will not happen he will not repay it and or he just doesn't get it like he just doesn't understand how much he owes which by the way i think is the same problem we have it's the same problem the world has we either don't understand the debt we owe we think you know what i'm not that bad of a guy I just need to do some decent things in my life, and it will outweigh the not-so-great things in my life. Because I'm a pretty good person. Sure, I've failed a little bit. But you know what? I mean, like, my debt to God is nowhere near this person's debt to God. Like, I can handle my debt to God, right? Because we just don't understand the depth of the debt that we owe which is absolutely unpayable. Or we think we can pay it back. We don't believe the unpayable thing. We do the whole good and bad karma thing, which is totally a human idea, right? If I do enough good things, then I get good karma. to outweigh my bad things, which is my bad karma. And the point is that Jesus is trying to get across in this illustration is you could spend every day of your life for the rest of your life doing as much good as humanly possible, and you wouldn't even make a dent. And by the way, if your family was helping you out, but not like that's the thing, but like if your family was all doing good things every single day of their life for their whole life, your whole family wouldn't make a dent. Your debt is unpayable. And it's ridiculous to think anything else. So what's left? If we come to that and we recognize that, what's left? The only thing we can ask for is for God to let go of our debt. Right? To forgive our debt. That is the only option at this point. The only option is that the master lets the debt off, lets him off. There's no other option. Well, thankfully that's what happens. Good twenty-seven it says, and the master of that slave felt compassion, and he released him and forgave him the debt. Wow, twelve billion dollars, two hundred thousand years of work, and the master's like, "It's good, we're good. Gone, done." And I think we look at this because we can relate to this and go, yeah, this is awesome. Like, our God is good, right? Because he did the same thing for us. and They did it for this guy. Maybe we don't realize how much of a debt he actually did pay for us, but it is massive beyond anything you could ever pay. And you go, okay, that's great. That's wonderful. That's nice. But I thought the question was about us forgiving. So what does this have to do with us forgiving? It has everything to do with us forgiving. That's his whole point. Look at 28. It says, but that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him into prison until he would pay back what was owed. This guy had another guy who owed him a debt. He's just been forgiven two, two uh, what did I say? Two, Twelve. Yeah, I was like, it's not two, it's not twenty-twelve. Twelve billion dollars. I hit my head yesterday. That must be what's going on here. Uh, Twelve billion dollars. And this guy owes a hundred denarii, which is worth twenty thousand dollars, which is not nothing. Can we agree? that's that's not nothing. It's about four months of work. The problem is not that this guy wanted his money (laughs) that was truly owed to him. The problem was when you put it next to the forgiveness he had received, it's ridiculous that he's going after this guy. Can we agree? He just got forgiven an unimaginable debt. And he can't go to someone else and forgive them their much lesser debt? It's ridiculous. By the way, the master does not respond well to this dude. We're not going to read it, but it's not good. His reaction might be understandable in the first culture if he hadn't just been forgiven that massive debt. But because he had, his reaction is completely out of bounds. Absolutely ridiculous. What should he have done? Forgiven the guy who owed him. That's the only thing that makes sense. The problem is, we're the guy. Right? That's the problem. Jesus is pointing at us and going, because we go, when someone hurts us or mistreats us, we go, they deserve for me to hate them. Look at how they're treating me. They deserve me to mistreat them back. They deserve for me, at at the very least, to ignore them. I'm just not going to deal with that thing whatever that is or maybe just punish them a little bit it doesn't have to be a lot but they need to pay something for what they did and it seems to us justified and honestly from a human standpoint it does seem justified right if someone hurts you it's justice for them to be hurt can we agree and probably at the level that they hurt you or maybe just slightly more would be nice right The problem is, that's not the way the kingdom of heaven works. It's not the way our people do things. And if we do, it's because we have one of two problems. We think what was done to us was massive, and what we did to God was little. And we're wrong about that. Or we think that we can repay our wrongs with God so others should repay their wrongs to us. We're also wrong about that. The only proper response to wrong being done toward a kingdom citizen is to let it go. It's the only proper response. Because of the fact that we have had so much more let go in our lives from God. Which by the way, this is just kind of a side note, but I sit back and watch the problems that our culture is suffering through right now. And you know, I probably oversimplify sometimes. I'm a pretty basic guy, but I'm telling you, what we're suffering from in America is a lack of forgiveness. That's what we're suffering for. from. Our racial strife, it's a lack of forgiveness issue. No, Nate, it's way more complicated than that. Okay. But I think if everyone involved would just let go of their gripe from the other group, would there be harmony? I think so. But again, probably not something we should expect from our culture. But I do think it's something we need to expect from ourselves. This forgiveness that God has offered us is a one-way street. It's not based on us. It's not based on how repentant we are. It's not based on how many Hail Marys we do or how much work we do in the community or whatever. Like, it's not based on that. It's completely one-way deal. And we need to imitate God, going back to Ephesians. Do what he does. Walk the path he walked, that Jesus walked. Stop keeping score, using that for a later time but offering forgiveness like he offered forgiveness. So let's talk about that. What does that look like? Well, it looks like a lot of things, but I'm going to cover just a few things here. 1 John 4.10 says, And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He sent his son to be the propitiation, which means full payment, paying off our debt. It's forgiveness language. He paid off our debt completely because we loved him. Is that what this says? No. He paid off our debt completely when we didn't love him and we actually were complete and utter failures and jerks. Right? That's when he paid it off. His kind of forgiveness handles the whole debt, and it doesn't have to start with, well, that person hasn't apologized to me yet. So? I don't think they're even repentant. So? I don't even think they realize how much they've hurt me. So? Forgiveness should just be our natural response. This kind of forgiveness is a one-way kind of forgiveness. Hebrews 10:18 says, "Now where there is forgiveness of these things, there is no longer any offering for sin. God's kind of forgiveness makes no requirements of the one who's forgiven. It doesn't say, hey, you need to, you need to give up something. Yeah I'll forgive you, but you got to give up something. Give me something. Like commit to changing, right? commit to to trying not to do that to me again. And then I'll offer you forgiveness. Or if you show me that you're really, 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 really sorry, then I'll offer forgiveness. That's human. That is not kingdom citizen stuff. If we're imitating God's forgiveness, we have to imitate that. This kind of forgiveness has no ifs. No when you. It's none of that. Romans 5.8 says, uh, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is an insane few verses here. Like, this is way beyond human, right? I was just reminded of a show that came out I don't know, a, long, a while ago, 15 years ago or something, Band of Brothers gets familiar with this show. It's based on a book. It was a cool show, right? It was, it was about these guys who committed to, they were in the same units in think, World War II. They started to lose focus on, you know, doing this for America and, you know, doing this because we want freedom or whatever. They were doing it for each other, right? And you had guys who were actually willingly giving up their lives for their brothers. I love that story. Like I'm like, that is great, right? And 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 you we applaud that. Imagine if Band of Brothers was a story about people giving up their lives for the enemy. That's not a good story, right? I'm not watching that. Like, that's what Jesus did. When we were the least lovable, he did everything for us. So if we're imitating him, I'm not going to offer my forgiveness to those I deem worthy. I'm going to offer my forgiveness to everyone who wrongs me at any point in time. Psalm 103, uh, verse 11 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. How far is east? Is the farthest east you can go? Anybody have a mileage on that? Like, how? No, no, no. Just say if you kept, where's east? That's north. If you go east and you just keep going east, somebody said it, there is no number, right? The number doesn't exist because you just keep going. How about if I went west? Same thing. There's no, there's no, there's no boundary. He tosses it way far, way beyond. Like, it's just gone. It's not tucked away in his back pocket for that moment when you're being a bonehead and he gets to pull it back out and go, hey, remember that? No, it's gone. So kingdom citizens, we don't tuck that in the back pocket. We don't trot that out when we want to make our point. It's gone. Last one is Romans 5.20 says... The law came in so that transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. I love this picture. That means the sin that I have done before God, as that piled up, His grace always superabounded. is the word. It always went way over my sin. And so if I sin this much, He's got this. If I sin this much, He's got this. If I sin this much, He's got this. His grace just always covers it. If I do that little, little bad thing, His grace covers it. If I do that really super bad thing, His grace covers it. Be imitators of God. I don't know all of your stories. I know some of your stories, but I don't know all of all of your stories, right? I don't know what you walked in here this morning with, what unforgiveness is living in your heart that you've justified over time. And it's easy to justify, really is easy to justify especially when someone has hurt us that badly. But you've, we've got to ask ourselves, are we forgiving in the way we've been forgive, forgiven? And you might ask, I've you know, counseled many people over some unforgiveness issues, and, and the question is, well, how do I do it? I'm all about Nike on this. Just do it, right? If I have a bill from you because I owe you $10,000. No, I'm sorry. You owe me $10,000, that's the right way. Okay, I have a bill, you owe me $10,000. If I want to forgive that debt and I have a paid stamp right next to me here, what do I do? What happened to the debt? It's forgiven. Just do it. It's not, you know, there's psychobabble stuff that goes around these issues. It, It is not any of that stuff. It's just you making a decision by the power of the Holy Spirit, which it might very well take. This is beyond human ability, right? Ask God to help you do this. For you to just go, that thing I've been holding on to with that person, it's gone. I'm deciding today, I'm, it's gone. I'm not going to hold it against them anymore. It is over. I'm letting it go. And don't let arguments like, well, they haven't said I'm sorry yet, or... They don't seem repentant or, or whatever justification we've used or they did to me too many times or whatever, like that cannot hold us back from true forgiveness. Because true forgiveness doesn't require anything of the party that harmed us. It just lets it go. Okay, we're going to have to do this next one quickly, but it's on, it's on the same, uh, same sort of topic here, but it's a good question. What is the role of the church in restoring relationships with believers who have left our fellowship? It's a good question. This church has been around for many, many, many years, right? I probably haven't kept a tally, but there's probably a lot of people who have left the church over time, right? And I'm familiar with the recent history of the church. There were were many people who left a little while ago, right? Within the last decade. So... What role do we have to play? I think we have an important role to play. The first thing is, I would say number one, based on what we just talked about, is if we're harboring unforgiveness towards anyone who's left the church because of some wrong that they did to us, or, or maybe we just feel wronged by them leaving, we need to let that go. We need to let them off the hook. It doesn't matter the reason they left. They don't have to justify themselves to us. But I think we need to be a church that just lets that go, and I think a good heart check in this area is: How do you speak about that person when you speak about them? Is it kind of ugliness that comes out? Then you might need to check your heart and your unforgiveness. The second thing is this: Matthew uh, five twenty-three says. Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and there there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and present your offering. You understand what he's saying? He's saying you going to worship God and and offer honor to God needs to wait. Your, Your relationship with God needs to be put on hold for a second so that you can go deal with your relationship with other people because that's a priority. Now, I know we wouldn't think that, right? But our relationship to other people affects our relationship to God. We need to go deal with that. And we need to deal with that now. Like, if there's something coming to your mind right now, I'm just, think I'm saying what Jesus is saying. I'm not telling you myself. I'm just saying, he's saying, do it now. Like, go call them now. I mean, not now, but like now, right? Like, once service is over, stay here for a second, right? But like, go deal with it now. Don't put it off. Because you might not realize it, but it's affecting your relationship with God. Go make it right. So if that's true of people who have left the church and there's unreconciled things, go, 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 go deal with it. Romans 12, 18 says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. If you have a contentious relationship with someone who has left the church, has left our body, we need to try to resolve that issue and not just leave it. That's not the way to handle it. That we need to do everything we can do. By the way, even if it means humbling ourselves and eating, eating some humble pie, we need to do everything we can do to live at peace with that person, to repair that relationship. Now, if we've done truly everything that we can do and that person, because of hardness of their heart, are unwilling to reconcile with us, we don't have any other option at that point other than just to say that we've done as much as we can, right? But as much as it depends on you, we need to be reconcilers. We need to be people who live in reconciled relationships. Now, beyond all that, does this necessarily require us to live in fellowship with all believers all the time? I'm not going to read this, but this is the account of um, Paul and Barnabas, who were the best of friends, traveling partners for a lot of years, ministry partners for a lot of years. They ended up splitting and going different directions. And it was over John Mark, this guy who made a huge mistake, he failed the ministry And Paul said, I don't think we can depend on him. And Barnabas is like, I think we can depend on him. And they couldn't come to agreement. And so they went in different directions in their ministry. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think you have to, with people maybe who have left the church, have to feel like you have to be in some sort of fellowship with them, you know, some sort of continual fellowship with them. I don't think you have to do that. I think there's reasons why. I mean, I know I'm not in fellowship with believers that I've been with over the years, and some of that's just proximity, right? Right? as much as I love many of our church family from Alaska, they're in Alaska, right? Like, I can't be in fellowship with them all the time. Now, I love it when they call, you know, because I'm like, hey, you know. But, you know, it's okay. We don't have to be in fellowship with all believers at all times. But make sure that you're reconciled before you decide, hey, we're going to have less fellowship. And then 1 Peter 4.8 says this. Above all, everything going on. Keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of of sins. Let love lead all the time. And being fervent actually means to persist in it, to not waver from it. It's going to be easy to waver from it at times. Persist in it. Pursue it as hard as you can. Love, 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 love. Because you know what? there's going to be a lot of failures that exist relationally, right? You've probably had plenty of those. I know I've had plenty of those, but it's amazing how persistent love can actually address some of those things if we just keep pushing. If I keep trying to do what's best in your life, if I keep trying to do good in your life, it can do a lot of good. All right, let me pray for us, and we'll sing a little more. Lord, thank you for these truths, both how exciting they are. I mean, every time I think about the debt that you've paid for me, I just get giddy. <laughs> but also how challenging it is that we're called to that same sort of forgiveness of each other, which in many ways just seems, you know, impossible or highly unlikely for, for us to be able to do that. But that's what we're called to as your children. And so empower us us to imitate you in this area of forgiveness. Help us to, to be honest with ourselves about unforgiveness we might be harboring in our hearts. And, and let us choose today just to, just to do it, just to, just to let it go, just to make the decision to, to not hold those hurts uh, and those disappointments against anyone ever. And may we become a people that get in a habit of that, that we begin to just forgive as we're being harmed almost. That we just let it go and let it go and let it go, and that our lives uh, reflect that. And that others would see that and they would glorify you. Pray this all in your name.